Uh, thank you, brother. Yes, I just feel it would be appropriate tonight to just begin this service with a few words of thanksgiving. And uh, and you that are pastors here, responsible for congregations, I just will share this with you, that I think that an attitude of gratefulness and thanksgiving to our congregations at home is an important part of our ministry because there are a lot of beautiful things happening in our churches and our people should know that we appreciate it. And so tonight I want to thank the dear people that are gathering in that little trailer over there at 7 o'clock or near that time in this tent for prayer. It is a beautiful thing to be part of that prayer time. And I want to thank those who are taking the time to do that. And I know there are people praying other places who maybe not be in those two locations. But we want to thank you for your prayers. It's appropriate that we thank the brothers who have carefully planned this meeting And not only have they planned it carefully, but they've done it in such a way as to include these contributing congregations that are willing to participate in the way that we have observed these evenings. And I think we should thank every one of those churches who is in this way blessing the uh, efforts of this tent meeting in the neighboring and surrounding communities. Don't you think so, Brother Leonard? I, I I think we should bless those dear people and thank them for that cooperation because it has been very noteworthy in this meeting. And there's been a very, very good spirit here. And and I won't have time probably to bring this message to you, but may I just tell you that when there is a church or a congregation nearby you, wherever you live, and they have some inquietudes about you, that, that means that they maybe are not quite at rest with everything and they are not quite sure what to do with you and they would maybe wish you were doing some things differently and they might think that you're not quite what you ought to be. And maybe they think that that it does not quite represent what they stand for and so they want to draw back. That might be happening to some of your congregations, to some of you as families, to some of you as young, as young, young people. And here's what I want to tell you about that. I want to tell you that though they might have a question about this or that that you are doing, or this or that that you have as a practice in your congregation, there is absolutely no reason at any time why they ever should have any question about your testimony for the Lord Jesus. There's no reason why there should be anything questionable about your character. There's no reason why you should ever have a wrong testimony when it comes to finances. There's no reason why you should have any question in your life about your moral standing before the Lord, the purity of your heart. There's no reason to have a wrong testimony. And if they get to know you and your attitude and your spirit and the contrition and your humility and the graceful way that you relate to others, there's no reason for them to have a question about your attitude. The testimony should be right. The testimony can be right. Don't you think so? Can you agree with that? We we, we owe the world, we owe the churches a, a testimony, a clear testimony. A prayerful testimony. A godly testimony. And we can have that for the Lord. I want us all to have that. That's an important, I think, way to, to, to break down the resistance and to invite people to take a closer look and to then, as we've been experiencing in this meeting, experience the uh, interconnection. Is, is that all right? Can you receive that tonight? Uh, 
It's a, I said the other evening we're going to put the responsibility on ourselves. Do you remember that? That, what that was said here. And I think this is one important area where we should put the responsibility on ourselves. And we, we, we want to do that. Thank you, brothers and sisters. And this is Saturday night, and, and I know that you've had a busy week, and some, some others of, of, of us have had too. But it's a beautiful time to be together, and I want to say one more thing. I have met very few of you fathers and mothers. I've met very few of you as families. It would be a wonderful thing to be able to talk to you and meet you and have daddies and mothers with all their children right there. It would be a wonderful thing, but every night we can't do that, and I haven't done that. But I have observed some things. I have observed some beautiful children who respectfully and kindly meet you out there when you get out of the car and they're all excited and they're all eager and they come to shake your hand. I've observed these little children, 10, 11, 6, 5 years old, younger than that. Young people. And it's a tribute to a beautiful thing that's being done in these homes, that the way these children respond, the way these children love to hear preaching, the way these children love to meet a stranger that they do not know. It is a tremendous testimony. Would you receive a blessing from God tonight in your homes for your children and your youth? I just want to encourage you with that. It's a tremendous blessing to see that in this tent and outside the tent, out there in that parking lot. Yeah, I wonder if we could stand to our feet and sing a song by memory. If you can't stand, it's okay. You don't need to stand if you can't. Please don't be under any condemnation. You can't stand, you just sit, but you can help to sing. If you don't know this song, then you just appreciate it. Put it in your heart, listen to it, and appreciate it. Rise up, O men of God. Can we sing that? Rise up, O men of God. Have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings. Rise up, O men of God, His kingdom tarries long. You may be seated. We have the uh, title of our message tonight. And we can find this in a text in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And you may turn there. 
find the title of this message in the first six words of 1 Timothy 6, 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. It says, fight the good fight of faith, thou man of God. But thou, O man of God, I've had the privilege in life to have personally known, worked with men of God. Oh, men of God, I've had that privilege, not worthy of it, but privileged to be in the presence of people like that. Oh, men of God, people that drew me out, people that showed me a way to go, people that took interest, people that were sincerely desiring to take a very, very needy young person, a very, very needy young preacher, and, and encouragements and corrections and admonitions and instructions. Men of God in our lives, what a beautiful thing. And we can all point to unique moments and circumstances in our experience when God was doing something very necessary in our lives. And I recall such an experience in my own life many, many years ago. We were living in, in Lancaster County. We were part of a congregation that I felt was too cold and too rigid and too legal and too man-centered and I just felt that this congregation needed a breath of life from heaven. And I told the brother on the phone, I was talking to him for about four hours on the phone. And I was telling him, that I think we need to leave this place and find something else. And, and, and something new must happen. And we ought to be somewhere else. And we need to find another setting, my wife and I. And this is not working. And he listened to me for quite a long time. And then John D. Martin, who I was talking to, the Purple Martin com- composer, He said, Brother Dale, if God cannot use you to bring revival into your setting, then all you proved was that God must use somebody else. And that shook me deeply. I will tell you that I've heard few things in life that have shaken me like that. I've had other experiences that were equally spiritually disturbing in my life. That is to say, shook and stirred and challenged to the very core of my life. Just where do I stand with God? And you notice that phrase says, but thou, O man of God, God, infinite God, incomprehensible God, God. Our own God, God whose concepts we form in various and many ways, the God of Deuteronomy, the God who is invisible, God, a God we can know, God. And now he says, a man of God. Now, if you just think about that after this week, through Monday, Sunday through Friday, and now a man of God, what does that phrase mean? But thou, O man of God. And we, we, we draw back from that. We shrink from that. We say, that's not a possibility. We say, don't expect that of me. We say, I'm human. We say, I'm dust. We say, we are worms. We say, we are insufficient. We, uh, we, and that's all true. 
But thou, O man of God, and, and there should be something in the heart of the young man, the heart of the young lady, there should be something in the hearts of us that say, God, what do you mean, O man of God? You know, God, God who speaks one time, God who speaks one time, and light years begin to shoot out into space and never quit. Speaks one time. Galaxies. Speaks one time. With his fingers, the Bible said. With his fingers. The heavens are the work of his fingers. One time. But thou, O man of God, what are we going to do with that? If you, if God does not use you to bring revival to your congregation, all you proved is that God will need to use somebody else to do it. I don't have time to tell you all these stories because we should get out of here on time tonight. We have uh, important things to do tomorrow morning early, and we should all be here before nine o'clock. A Catholic lady challenged me in my life just a very few years ago and shook me more than what John Dee did when he made that statement to me. Now that I went that far, I've got to go further. You want to know what happened. You want to know what she said. We had a sister in our congregation who was every year in the month of June in the mental hospital. Every year in the month of June. From our congregation at home. And so it was that on this particular occasion, as I'd often done before, I went to see her when she was in that psych ward. And on that particular occasion, when I was there to visit her, I couldn't do any visiting because she had her back towards me, her face towards the wall, and she was sleeping. And so I decided I was just going to stand there instead of waking her up because I'm sure she needs her rest. I'm just going to pray while I'm here in her presence. That's what I did. And as I was getting finished there and opened my eyes and looked at her, she was slowly rolling over towards me and her eyes were tremendous big and she, she saw me and she, she growled like, like a wild animal. I'm not going to make the sounds that she made. It's not appropriate for this recording. It was a terrible, guttural, it was a terrible noise. And I said, it's all right, Daisy. We're praying for you. You will soon be well. And and I, I left her and went out into the hallway to go back to the uh, foyer of the hospital. And a young girl, about 16 years of age, came running up to me. And she said, sir, mother is waiting. She wanted me to find you. She needs to talk to you immediately. Would you come with me? Would you, would you come with me right now? So I followed her and she was going rapidly down the hallway and, and she went around a couple of corners and down the steps and there was a lady sitting there on a bench. She said, this is my mother. And I, of course, was interested in knowing why the mother had called for me. And here's what the mother said. Are you, are you listening? Do you have your seatbelt securely fastened? I told you this shook me more than what Brother John D. said. You will soon find out why. 
Eugenio, that's my name in Spanish, Eugene, right? Dale Eugene, Eugenio. It's a common name in Spanish, Dale no one can pronounce. Eugenio, someone told me you're a bishop. I've never talked to a bishop. I don't know how to talk to a bishop. But, but, but I think that you know God. If you're a bishop, you know God. That lady you were visiting in the hospital is my sister. Every year, this time of year, she's in the hospital. Every year, several weeks for the same thing every year. And we love my sister. There's no one like our sister. In, in our family, we have no one that's like she is. And, and though when we come to the Marseille village, we can visit with many, many relatives there. We always go to her house. There's no one that has the, the light in her face. And no one has the joy. And no one that has the, the uh, testimony that she has. And we all go there. All of us know Daisy is unique among all of our family. But, but every year, Dale. And then the girl said, she's my favorite aunt. And then the lady said, but she comes to this hospital every year. And I would like to ask something. Can't the God that you know do anything for my sister? Can't your God heal my sister? Can't your God change the life of my sister? How do you answer that? How do you answer that? I thanked her for her kindness. I thanked her for her confidence. I thanked her for her willing to share it. I thanked her for her, her calling me to hear those words. I thanked her for her love for her sister. I thanked her for the testimony she gave of this member of our congregation. I thanked her. And left that place de- determined that something must be done. But thou, O man of God, and we need men of God. Rise up, O men of God, the church for you doth wait her strength on equal to her task. What does that mean? Her strength on equal to her task. My sword, my sword, my trusty sword by thy unerring might will deal the foe a deadly blow in faith's unequal fight. What does that mean? Unequal to her task. It means that greater is he that is with us than he that is with the world. It means there's more power with us than there is with them. It means that we can do what we need to do. It means there's nothing that can rob our testimony. It means that nothing can deprive God of his glory in this earth. It means that we are equipped with what we need if we receive it. But thou, O man of God, this expression is not a trite expression. It's not a glib description of somebody. It's not an average type of person he's talking about. It's not a word that's used for everybody. But it's a carefully chosen title for A select company of God's servants, but it's a select company that all of us should be included in. Any one of us could be included in this 
list of those men of God. And it's a word that is very, very carefully and, and not very often used in the Bible. The term man of God reserved for few people in the scripture. It's a phrase that's used more often in the Old Testament than the New Testament. This is one place where it's found in the New Testament. But thou, O man of God, man of God. It's not a varsity club, not a national honor society. It's not a who's who in America. It's not a varsity club. It's not a Rotary International. It's not a Hall of Fame. It's the opinion of heaven of this ministering program, this unique person, this man of God. It's a unique title. Few are called this in the Bible. Moses was called that in the book of Joshua in chapter 14. I think Moses was called that maybe one time. David was called man of God twice in the Old Testament as far as I remember. And I could take time to turn to those verses, but you might just want to take my word for that tonight. It's, it's a term that's not used very often. Man of God. This designation, this term man of God was used for Elijah more times than for anybody else up until his time. I think maybe I will just take a moment and show you some of those references if you want to turn to First Kings. It might be a good starting point to jump in here. He's introduced to us for the first time in chapter 17 of First Kings. Elijah is. Let's just turn there. Verse 18. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? He said, Give me thy son. And you know what happened there. That son was raised to life. Verse 24. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. In 2 Kings chapter 1, we have this term man of God used for Elijah five times in one chapter. None was like unto him. This man was proverbial in Israel. And I think to the even to the present day, I would believe I'm right that the Jewish people would consider Elijah to be the greatest of all prophets that ever lived. Kings especially honored and feared this prophet, this man of God. And when gross darkness covered the people, God sought a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah to break that darkness, to break that 400 years of silence. And according to Luke chapter 1 called John the Baptist, who came in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. And the spirit of this man is unique. His spirit is referred to several times in the Bible. The spirit of this man. Behold what spirit of this man. And when Elisha eventually picked up that mantle that fell from the rising chariot. That by fire was taken to heaven. And came to the river Jordan. And smote it in the waters part. And he came across the 50 prophets on the other side. On the western shore of that river. 
And they saw what happened and they said, the spirit of Elijah rests upon Elisha. And, oh man of God, there's no reason in all the world why someone cannot see how we perform and listen to what we say and look at the, notice the attitude with which we do our things and the relationships we have with others and say that the Spirit of the Lord Jesus is resting upon that young lady. The Spirit of our Lord Jesus is upon that preacher. The Spirit of the Lord Jesus is upon that young man. The Spirit of the Lord Jesus. Now, the young people here are five years old tonight. Two precious young men came up to me last evening. They were very young. One said his name is Ezekiel. The other one said my name is Isaiah. I thought to myself, what is going on in this tent? Here comes Ezekiel and here's Isaiah. And when I was that age, and younger than that, I loved to hear preaching. I remember sitting in church when I was five or six years old with tears running down my face listening to the preaching of God's word. I traveled far from that later on in life. Lost that fervor, lost that desire, lost that somehow another, something in me that just wanted to make a connection, just wanted to know, just wanted to be a part of it, just wanted to experience it when I was very young. And those children that are here tonight, five and six years old, they are not too young to understand what I'm saying. They are not too young to know. They are welcome to know. God wants them to hear. This man of God. We should have the Spirit of Christ upon us. People should see that. What we saw Elisha do with that mantle. Now he, what we saw Elijah do, now Elisha's doing. That means the Spirit of Elijah is upon him. And what we saw Jesus do and how we heard him speak and what we saw how he related to others. We see that. There's something very beautiful here. The Spirit of Elijah. The one that followed Elijah was called man of God more than anyone else in all of the Bible. And that is Elisha, the servant of Elijah. I'd like to look at that model of spiritual ministry and we've seen his life, an example of his character and attitude. I'd like to see if we can find a couple of things in this man's life that helps us understand why this word is used for him so often. And doing it for this purpose, man of God. That we've seen this Old Testament example, what a man of God looks like in the eyes of God. This term is not something that men have only said, it's something God chose to stamp upon his life. And may I just say this one word before we go into this little study. There's one difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are many differences. But this one difference I'm calling your attention now. Many times in the Old Testament, God found one person. And he did with one person what he wanted to do. He needed a Daniel, he found one. He needed a Joseph, here it was. He needed an Abraham, found him. He needed a prophet, here he was. A Jonah, he found a person, and, and God used that person to do what needed to be done. And it was done well, and God blessed it, and it's recorded, and it had lasting and eternal effects. A David, out there in the camp of the Philistines, you remember those stories in your Bible. In the New Testament, it's a little bit different. In the New Testament, God 
enables all of us in the church of Jesus Christ to have these qualities of dedication, this knowledge of God, this personal relationship with Him, this walking with the Lord, this hearing of His voice, this being filled with His graciousness and spirit. He expects that of all of us. And then in the New Testament, the work of God is done by this corporate union of souls knit together in love, a tapestry, a a fabric woven by the Spirit of our God to form this light on the hill that cannot be hid. It's a united testimony. And we unite together, one with another, to get this done. It's not just what one person does. Though all of us have our individual responsibility, and all of us will find ourselves at times in situations where it's up to us. So God wants all of us to be that way. But there is this unique way in which we today are are bonded together and united together. And in love we're together. There is this There is this bond of peace and love that holds us together. And when that is shattered, we lose our children. When that is shattered, our youth are discouraged. When that is shattered, things go astray. When that is shattered, people lose their security. When that is shattered, people can't understand it. And when that is shattered, they don't know how in the world to serve God when it's not working. And those who are supposedly showing us the way. That's why this is such an important Matter for us to consider tonight. But now Elisha. Let's go to 2 Kings. Chapter 4. Can we start there? Verse 7. She came and told the man of God. And said. Excuse me. Then she came and told the man of God. This is the lady that had the debt. And they were going to come and sell her children. And he said, that the man of God said, that's Elisha, go sell the oil and pay the debt and live thou and thy children of the rest. Now, standing thing we have here, verse 9. And she said unto her husband, behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passes by us continually. This is the Shunammite lady. And she had this idea to take this old man to whom she was married. And I don't know why she married this older gentleman. He was too old to have children. I don't know why she married him. It was his problem that she was childless, not hers. The Bible tells us that. And and, and she brought this idea to him. Let's just put a little apartment here, a little prophet's quarters beside our house or on the rooftop, wherever that was up there in the Trado. And so let's build that so he can stay there. And she called him here a holy man of God. This is Elisha that she's speaking about. Verse 22. And she called... Unto her husband and said, send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. 27. And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near and thrust her away. And the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her. And the Lord hath hid it from me and hath not told me. Chapter 5. Verse 14. It will do you good to read these verses. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Verse 15. And he, and he returned to the man of God. He and all his company and came and stood before him and he said, Behold now I know that there is no God at all in, in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee take a blessing of thy servant. Chapter 6. Verse 6. 
And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place. And he cut down a stick and cast it thither. And the iron did swim. Now these are interesting verses. Are you reading these verses? It's what the man of God did. Verse 7. I think I think I'm wrong there. I think I want to be in verse nine. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. Verse fifteen. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed of the city, both with horses and chariots, and his servants said unto him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? This was when the Syrians circled them around at Dothan. And then the, the prophet, the man of God, prayed and said, Lord, open the young man's eyes and he saw horses and chariots of fire all round about them. Chapter 7, verse 2. Then the Lord, on whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Behold, that the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shall not eat thereof. And that was true. That is just the way it was. Chapter 8, verse 7. And Elisha came to Damascus, and Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, was sick. And it was told him, saying, listen what this heathen king was told. And, and it was a heathen that told him. We, ha- we have here a pagan king, and we have a heathen person talking. And listen to what they say. It was told him, saying, the man of God has come th- hither. Now listen, the world knows the man of God. An unbeliever recognizes the man of God. A pagan king recognizes a man of God. I learned that in this tent this week. That an ungodly prosecuting attorney recognizes a man of God. It happened in the testimony I heard here in front of this pulpit this week. Verse 8. And the king said unto Haziel. Take a present in thine hand and go meet the man of God. And inquire the Lord by him, saying, Shall I recover this disease? Verse 11. And he settled his, settled his countenance steadfastly until he was ashamed. I want you to listen to what that verse says at the end. And the man of God wept. Did you see that? That's, that's, that's a powerful expression in that verse. The man of God wept. And let that brief review of a few verses there help us understand this man's life, his ministry, his spiritual fervor, his qualifications. We can jump to chapter 13. Would you want to do that? Verse 14. Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness where he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, that was a wicked king came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And we read verse 19 yet. And the man of God was wroth with him and said, Thou shouldest have smitten five or six times, then hast thou smitten Syria till thou hast consumed it, whereas now thou shalt smite Syria. But thrice. I want to say a few things about this man of God that we have here. And as I say these words, we're thinking about ourselves, men of God. And you have no problem with this time seeing the God in the man. You have no problem seeing God's investment in this man's life. You have no problem seeing that, that somehow or another God 
was it's an interesting it's an interesting expression, but 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 God clothed himself with Elisha. The, the, the Spirit of God clothed himself with this man's person, with this man's eyes, with this man's countenance, with this man's body, with this man's voice. God clothed himself with this man. God was in there. A man of God. And, and we're here tonight. God, the invisible God, clothed himself in immortal flesh. And kings saw it, and evil people saw it, and unbelievers saw it. Man of God. That's a tremendous testimony. That's enough to make me shudder. That's enough to make me close this meeting and we all of us could fall on our knees. We could just fill these aisles and fill this front. We could just get down into our chairs. We could, we could just cry out to God. We could say, oh God. We could think of times when we failed the Lord. We could think of times there should have been a testimony, should have been a witness, should have been a clear description, should have been an ev- a manifestation, should have been an evidence that God is now here. And, 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 and you finish the sentence. It should startle us. What do we see in this king? May I do just a brief review? This won't take real long. First Kings 19. We have this endless energy of this man of God. The energy of this man. The fervency of this man. Fervent in spirit. His diligence. No slothfulness here. Busy. Look at this man. Chapter 19. Verse 19. So he departed thence and found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him. And he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. Twelve bottom plow. This man was diligent. This man, what he did, he did with his might. This man made effort at what he was doing. There's no reason for slothfulness in this Christian life. I'll never forget an expression I heard Brother Most Dulcibus make one time about Denny Keniston's Bible. I guess if you're a preacher tonight, and you've had your Bible for more than five years, I'd like to see it. See what it looks like. But he said, then his Bible looks like he slept in it. Diligence. Searching. Studying. Meditating. Perusing through those pages. Turning those pages. Writing those notes. This Bible, I, I, this Bible, I don't, this is an English Bible here. I don't use the English Bible in Costa Rica. It's a Spanish Bible. Some of the words are just about illegible on the pages. They are, it's not because I read them so much and my eyes pulled the ink off the page. It's because your finger's rubbing over there and it takes it off. And, I love to read the Spanish Bible and try to read it through every year. And it's been a tremendous blessing to my life. And I'm not asking you to do that. And there's no condemnation for you if you don't. But that Bible, that diligence, it's 
And it's, I, I don't plow with oxen. That, that's not my work. I'm not plowing with oxen. But what we're called to do, we should diligently do. And the man of God will do that. And all men of God are that way. They are diligent in what they do. They're fervent in what they do. Notice the complete surrender of this man. Verses 20 and 21. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother. And then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? Notice 21. And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people. And they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Complete surrender. He started at the bottom. But he was completely surrendered. This stuff is God's. I'll just share with the Lord. We can see this in 2 Kings chapter 3. Would you turn over there quickly? And verse 11. What it says here. Someone is talking about Elisha here. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord, that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of his, one of the king of and one of the king of Israel's servants, and again realize, please, that this is Israel. This is wicked. There's not one righteous king in Israel. And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha, the son of Shapheth, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. And here's a man that's got this farming operation, and he's doing what he's doing, and he's here willing to help Elijah wash his hands. I had this beautiful privilege this past week, though it was not always nice and easy to have to visit that hospital. I was down in physical therapy. There was a young lady there. She had said intern on her dress. So I walked over to her and I talked to her and I told her, you know, I've worked with a lot of doctors, a lot of interns. I told her some stories I had. She wanted to hear those stories. And I said, tell me, what are you planning to do with your, with, with your ministry of healing? Well, she said, I really like physical therapy and, and I just thought I would m- maybe study and, and prepare myself and, and just do help these people walk and get established. And, and there was this lady with eight years of education, adult level education. And here she is with these, this old lady here and she's t- teaching her how to bend her knees and she's teaching her how to flex her elbows and she's teaching her how to take her feet and turn them into circles. And then the lady walked into my lady's, my mother's, my wife's room, and she was doing bedpans and all that kind of stuff. And I, I said, "Are you, are you, you are a nurse's assistant?" Yes. I'm studying to be a registered nurse, but I'm not finished yet. But I really enjoy doing this, and so I, I'm just glad that right now I can do this. That's the attitude of a man of God. We had a very important meeting one day. Many, many people were there. This place was filled with people. This was in New Holland, Pennsylvania. One of the speakers had a retarded son. One of the preachers that was preaching there had a son who could not take care of his personal needs alone. And his mother came to me and said, Brother Dale, my son needs to go to the bathroom. Would you, would you take him and help him in the men's restroom? I said, that'd be a blessing to help your son. You 
You know, there's no job too menial. There's nothing too low for a man of God to do. I just want us to remember some of those things. That's We see that in Elisha. This man desired with all of his heart true spiritual enablement. Go to chapter 2. I want to ask you tonight, young man, young woman, do you share Elisha's heart? In chapter 2, verse 9, it came to pass when they were gone over, that's River Jordan, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. You wonder why he's called a man of God? Look at his desire. He could have asked for anything. Look what he could have asked for. I think of Solomon. He could have asked for anything. Wisdom, Lord. I'm young. The people of God is great. I'm young. I'm not capable of governing these people. Wisdom, Lord. It's okay, Solomon. What would you like, Elisha? I'm going to be taken from you. Do you have a request before I go? A double portion of your spirit. I have to have a double portion of your spirit. But thou, O man of God, and what are you desiring for? What is your goal in life? And who do you want to be like? Who are you trying to emulate? Whose service are you in? What do you expect to do for God? He spoke the oracles of God. He spoke the words of God. This man was a man of God because he spoke the words of God. And how did he speak the words of God? Because he knew the God of the words. He walked with this God and knew this God and searched out these words and spoke those words with all authority. He did that. Chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And he said, Thus saith the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches, for thus saith the Lord, Ye shall not see wind, neither shall ye see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water. And ye may, that ye may drink both ye and your cattle and your beasts. And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites also into your hand. The man of God. Speaking the words of God. He put his entire life, his energy, his personality into all of his work. Chapter 4. Verses 34 and 35. Followed in your Bible. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hand upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Look at that diligence. Look at that persistence. Look at that faith. All of his energies, personalities work. This, this verse stands out to me. It'd be strange for you to understand why. The first time I ever knew this verse was in the Bible. I was in high school. And I was a senior projectionist there in the public school, which means that when there was some kind of a movie or a film or a video you'd call it nowadays to be shown to a class about something, they asked me to do it. I oftentimes was called out of class to go up there to the shack and, 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 and send this film down there on the screen in the auditorium so people could see it. And they had this film there dealing with the whole matter of resuscitating a person who had an arrest and mouth-to-mouth respiration and how to do that. Of course, I did that 
when I worked in the hospital. But at that early time in life, it was the first time I'd ever heard of it. And I'm watching this thing on the screen, and I'm up here running machinery, controlling the lights and, this, and the stage curtains, and I'm doing that from up here. And down there, these people are watching that screen, so am I. And to give some kind of unique historicity to this teaching, this science of breathing into a person's mouth and resuscitating them with oxygen, this verse appeared on the screen, and I looked at it. And I, though I did not know it was in the Bible, I knew it was a Bible verse. It just stuck with me. But look what this man of God did here. And the spirit with which he did it. This man was of impeccable integrity. Chapter 5, verse 16. Impeccable integrity. But he said, chapter 5, 16, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. The king of, the, 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 the king's servant Naaman, the general of the Syrian army, wanted to give him a gift for his healing of leprosy. And he would take nothing. I will take none of it. He wanted the Lord to receive the glory. I don't think it's wrong for someone to receive offerings from others or gifts from others. I don't think that's wrong. This man felt he should not do it. He was obeying what he felt he should do. He believed in the victorious power of God and lived in that victorious faith continually. Chapter 6, 2 Kings, verses 15 and 16. Notice what it says here. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host comes to the city with both horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. On equal task. The church, her strength on equal to her task. Rise up and make her great. What can your God do for my sister? That happened about four years ago. That Catholic lady's sister, member of our congregation, has not been back in the hospital since. The, the, the God of the Bible, the God that's invisible, the God that we love, the God that we serve, the God that we honor, the God that we worship, the God upon whose name we call in prayer, the God that we present to our people, the God who loves his church, healed that young mother of her problem. A man of faith and spiritual vision. Verse 17. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray that you open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes and the young man, of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountains most full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Now, now I want you to try to understand this. Why didn't it say round about the city? Why didn't it say round about the servant? This whole thing was filled with horses and chariots of fire rather by Elisha, the man of God. And, and if I would have the choice, I would want to be very, very close to that man of God so that they'd be around about me. And, and, and dear people, that is why others choose to be near to you. That's why others want to be, want, want to be near you. Listen, I'm going to tell you this is true. 
The earthquake happened there in January of 2009. It was a terrible earthquake in Costa Rica, and, and we had a lot of devastation in our area. Tremendous destruction, and stuff falls down. It was a very severe earthquake because it was high in the air. Earthquakes are down sea level below on low lands. They don't do the damage that it does when it's up in a, up in a mountain. Just like if you're in a, if you're in a multi-story building in an earthquake, you better be in the first floor instead of the tenth floor. And so this was devastating. And our neighbors were scared. They were scared to go to bed at night. They were scared to be in their houses. And the next night after the earthquake, our Catholic neighbors lined up on the porch of Carlos and Yolanda's house and slept during the night, lined up like logs on, on the porch of their house because they wanted to get as close as, as they could to someone who knew God. That's a testimony. But thou, O man of God, never lost his passion for righteousness. Chapter 13. The extension of God's kingdom. He wanted the work to go on and to go on, though he was old and soon going to pass away. Chapter 13, verse 14. I don't know if I should read all this. Now Elisha was fallen sick of a sickness wherever he died. And this is when this Joash came, king of Israel, and he told Joash what to do to try to, with his bows and arrows, tell him what to do, tell him to shoot this out, tell him to take them and smite them on this sill there. And he had this passion for the extension of God's kingdom, this man of God did. And is there a man of God like that here? We're reading about this. And I know it's Old Testament language. And I'm not talking so much about his miracles. There were miracles here. Many of them. But I'm talking about his passion. His dedication. His fervor. His walk with God. His hearing God's words. His proclamation of it. His testimony to kings. People knew this is a man of God. How does one identify a man of God? For this, to this man why I look. This man that trembles at my word. This man that's of a contrite and broken spirit. This man that when I speak, he listens. This man, when I speak, he obeys. I don't know, I'm taking an awful risk to say this tonight, but, but I, I'm going to say this. I prayed about this. I'm not, I wasn't sure if I should say it or not. In this tent, I'm going to say it, I think. Acts chapter 5, verse 32. It says there that he gives the Holy Spirit to those that obey him. You say, I wash feet, I veil my head. We use the Christian salutation that's given in the New Testament. We're obeying, we have the Holy Spirit. That is a common interpretation of that verse. We're doing the all things. We have the Holy Spirit. But you don't need the Holy Spirit in your life if you're not obeying God. He has a task for you. You're not willing to do it. You don't need the Holy Spirit. 
If God has called you, chosen you, challenged you, equipped you, anointed you, directed you into, into a, a ministry, a, a person to speak to, a neighbor to visit, then we don't do it. And we have this call of God. We have this claim of God. We have this purpose of God upon our lives that we don't do it. He gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey Him. And these tasks require diligence and they require hearing His voice and walking with Him and understanding His purpose in this earth. As Moses did. We heard that the second night. And if we don't do it, He gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask those who obey Him. It's right to obey in those other areas. Amen, it's right to obey in those other areas. It certainly is. But these people who are men of God, they live in the presence of God. And twice it says, of the, twice Elijah said, he talked about God and said, and, and, and before whom I stand. And twice Elisha says, that he talks about the God of heaven, before whom I stand, it's where you lived. Where are you? In the presence of God. What are you doing there? I need him and and for some strange reason, we heard that tonight in the devotional meditation. I need him. We heard it last night. I, I need him. And for some strange reason, God has chosen right now. Dear people, listen tonight. This sounds almost too sacred to say. But right now, in this precious, precious moment when his kingdom must come and his will must be done. And God has a purpose for you in life. And he has a place for you to serve. And he has a person for you to speak to and a task for you to do. God has chosen. You talk about the humility of Almighty God. You talk about the humility of omnipotence. You talk about the humility of a sovereign. He has chosen to need you. And chosen to need me. When he could have done it better by himself. And waits for us to do it. And if we then choose to do it. If we're willing to do it. We bow our hearts and say I'll do it Lord. He gives the Holy Spirit to them that obey him. I want you to remember that. It's a man of God. They receive the messages from God. And they speak the word of the Lord that they receive from God. It's more than just studying for a topic. It's more than preparing a sermon. It's more than learning the Bible. It's more than going to Bible school. It's more than memorizing scriptures. It's more than X amount of interpretation. It's receiving the message from God. And living the message of God. And, and as... I was taught by this precious brother that was once among us, Dale, the life message, Dale, is more important than the pulpit message. That's the way a man of God thinks. The life message. Will not compromise the holy position. Cannot be bought, cannot be negotiated. Cannot be won over. They know what they know what to flee from. They know what to fly to and follow, as our text said in 1 Timothy 6.11. They live in the Word of God. They feel in the Word of God. And they use the Word of God. They are men of prayer. They do not say prayers. They are men of prayer. That means they live by prayer. That means they take their problems to God in prayer. That means they receive the answers in prayer. That means they receive strength in prayer. That means they're renewed day by day by prayer. That means they know the God of prayer. That means they know that God hears when they pray. They know God. They are men of God. 
They're men of prayer. And I'm not telling you how much time to pray every day. I won't tell you that. That's condemnation. I won't do that. I suppose most of us should spend more time praying than we do. I'm not putting anybody under condemnation. A man of God prays. A man of God is known for prayer. A man of God will pray about it. You can see that in Nehemiah. See it in Daniel. See how long they prayed. See their habit of prayer. See what they said when they prayed. Ezra. Listen to them pray. David. Listen to them pray. The people have done me the greatest favor in life, I think, are the ones that wanted to help me learn to pray. They depend upon God. And God hears them. And God answers them. And they pray specifically and boldly and fervently. And they pray again. Elijah Elijah prayed and then he prayed again. Santiago James chapter 5 tells us. They are anointed of God. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me. Jesus said that. They are men of faith. As Elijah was in Carmel, praying, praying for the rain. Men of faith. They believe what God can do. Can't your God do anything for my sister? They love the people. Men of God are long-suffering. Men of God have much patience. Someone told me last night, I don't have patience. I don't know where to find patience. I can't find patience. No matter how well I do it, I never measure up. I never do it right. That was a precious heart. That was a precious life. That was a precious words. The struggle that many, many people in this tent have had in, in the last years of in, in your life. I try as hard as I can to win acceptance. As hard as I can to do it right. Hard as I can so no one has any fault to find. Hard as I can. And there are many, many problems with that kind of living. And one of them is this. That the way we are struggling and trying hard to please and to win attention and win approval, we then require our children to do the same thing. And they can't do it. And the truth is, dear people, tonight I can't do it either. And neither can you. I'm limited in what I can do. All of us are limited in what we can do. I must learn to know God in heaven who says it's accepted according to what a man hath and not according to what he hath not. When I don't need to be anybody else, when I don't need to match anybody else's performance, when I don't need to do it as well as other people can do it. You can have five young people come up here on a Friday night and sing a beautiful hymn before the congregation. It doesn't matter if they make a mistake. It doesn't matter if they miss the word or mispronounce the word. It doesn't matter if tenor was off just one-tenth of a tone. It does not matter if someone forgot the, the last word of the second stanza. It does not matter. The blessing of God is here. We rejoice. We're so glad for it. It's such a testimony. It ministered to our hearts. It was just a joy to hear it. It was the, the willingness to share in that way, in the humility of their hearts. What a blessing it is. 
This doesn't matter who gets the credit. I don't have to perform it. I'll perform somebody else. I have God's approval from my life. Walk up to your sons, to your fathers. Put your hands on your shoulders. And say, here is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Take those precious daughters. And reassure them of your care, your love, your protection, your interest in their lives. Let them know they're secure under your care. Let them know they please you, they bless you. Let them know the great contribution they're making to your family. Don't ever let them live thinking they can't please Dad. Do not spend all your time criticizing the few mistakes they make when every day there are a thousand things you could give them credit for. Won't you please think about that, dear daddy and mama? If you want to raise a man of God, a woman of God, take care of your children. That's the way a man of God will do. Quick to give thanks. Quick to give credit. Quick to appreciate. Quick to be thankful. Now that Elisha, they received that bed and that candlestick and that little table there, that chair and that little room. He came there and found all that, and the first thing he wanted to do, bring her in here. We want to do something for you. What a blessing to receive this. It's so nice to sleep in this bed. It's so nice to have these quarters given to us. It's so nice the way you prepared this little lunch and put it here on the table. It's so nice to eat those snacks and these apples that are here in this basket. It's so nice to have this bottle of water. It's so nice to have someone in my room put a a bottle of Tums on there. I don't know where they learned that they needed to do that. But there were these Tums for the tummy in there. And thank God. And thank them. It's, it's what a man of God will do. They speak to God about men. And they go forth. And speak to men about God. I must close. I'll tell you one or two things. Just to encourage you. Just to show you that. You're welcome into this. Grouping of people that walk with God. And know the Lord. You're five years old. You're ten years old tonight. You're 15, 18, 23. For several years, three of us in several different countries in Latin America met together every year for three days. It wasn't very hard to get together. We didn't tend to take very much. We bought our Bibles, some notebooks, Maybe a few study items. Spent three days in prayer and fasting together. It was a very beautiful time. No need for food. On our faces before the Lord. Long periods of time. Sometimes a Bible study. Then, then we, we, we'd quit for a while. You go out and get a little exercise. Walk around a little bit. Come back in. Take up. Another prayer theme. Every year we got together, we had a purpose for doing it. One year was to look at mission concepts in the Bible. What is the proper way to start new churches in, in, in 1040 window situations? How do you do that? Indigenous churches. Attack them as churches. How do you do it? We spent one year just on that subject. Other things. One year we looked at the whole subject of the uh, fullness of the Holy Spirit, the life of the Christian, and what the Bible truly teaches about that. The three days, nothing else. Saturated with prayer and the Bible open to that subject. We did that year after year. 
And God just really blessed that that kind of that kind of intensity of, of searching His face together with other brothers. Remember one year we were ready to leave and we got a bottle of grape juice and we had some bread there and we had a communion service among ourselves before we left. It's a little hard to leave a scene like that, a holy place like that, but there's work to do off the mountain. I was preaching in a place in the state of Pennsylvania. It's interesting, but it was in this state. We were living in Costa Rica, but it was here. Long distance from here, but in this state. I was knocking the door. I went to the door. No one else was there. The people that owned the house and invited me to stay with them, they weren't there. A young man was standing at the door. He kind of looked at me as if he was felt a little maybe uncomfortable about being there and maybe felt like he's intruding. Brother Dale, I... I would like to, to learn to pray. I, would you have time to spend some time praying with me? I, I would like to learn to pray. I said, young man, God bless you. Young man, please come in. Dear young man. Several years later, he came to me again. I I don't have much experience with fasting. I I have some physical difficulties and it's hard for me to fast. Do you have any advice for me? Could you explain to me what do you think I should do? I talked to that young man on the phone today. Not a young man anymore. There's a lot of responsibilities in his life. God has given him a 12 bottom plow to use very very busy servant of the Lord if you want to be a man of God if you have a heart that craves to know him, live with him, receive his message, receive his work be obedient to it because he gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him would you take this life of yours and say God it's all yours would you take this life of yours and say I need a double portion of that spirit of God that I've seen in other persons. Does the church ever need young men, young women with a double portion of the spirit of God? And would you just open your life tonight? Would you say, dear God, here I am. Sisters. Sisters. The future of your congregation depends on the prayer of the sisters of the church. Some of us sitting here tonight remember the day when we give an invitation at the end of a service. And as an invitation number was announced and as the people began to sing, I've seen several rows of sisters just turn around and fall on their knees in, in fervent prayer while the song was being sung. <laughs> And can you imagine the blessing of a congregation that has young sisters like that? Praying for the preachers, praying for the service, praying before the service starts, praying as the service is being preached, praying through the church's experiences and difficulties. And that kind of power and union and strength behind the 
behind the pastoral team in the congregation. O thou man of God, O thou sister of God, O thou youth of God, O thou dear young lady, fill with the heart of God, get on your knees and pray for us. One of the greatest revivals that ever came to the country of England happened as a result of a woman's prayer. She was a cripple. She was in bed. bed. She couldn't go to church. She lived with her sister. Her sister had to take care of her. She was an invalid. And every day when her sister would get back to the service, she couldn't go. She was in bed. She'd come back to the service. Tell me the service. Oh, no, no. Same old deacon. Prayed the same old thing. Says the same thing every Sunday. Oh, then, then I must continue to pray. And one day the sister came home to church. She said, anything new happened in church this morning? Yes. Kind of strange, but there was a preacher there from Chicago. Who was he? I, I, I don't remember, but it was something like Moody. Oh, said the sister. What's going to happen? Well, they're going to have another service tonight. He's going to preach again. Don't, don't, don't bring me any dinner. I, I can't eat dinner today. I just want to pray. Several weeks of preaching. Tremendous revival broke out in that area. And that invented lady in some kind of a little magazine, little church paper, saw a little clipping at the bottom about this preacher from Chicago. And he began praying, asking God to bring him to their church in England, bring him to our church, and to, for God to answer that prayer. Mrs. O'Leary's cow had a kick against the wall of the stable, and the lantern hanging there on the nail fell down into the straw. And that stable began to burn, and so did the town of Chicago, and so did Dwight Moody's church and the water tower, and a large part of that city was destroyed in that fire. And Moody didn't have a church, and didn't know what to do, and someone said, why don't you go to England for a while? He got on a boat, went over there, ended up at that lady's church. But thou man of God, and would you give yourself to prayer, and would you give yourself to the study of this word, and would you give yourself the time before God, Will you give yourself time on your knees? Will you give yourself to this precious, the precious promises that by faith we can believe in this book? Would you get to know God and walk with Him and be a man and a woman for God? Let us pray. Dear God, would you bless the church tonight? Our churches are waiting for young men and for young women. To rise up and make her great. And her strength is unequal to the task. Oh God help us. To find these young men. These young women. To instill in their hearts the faith. To give their, in their hearts the vision. To give in their hearts the desire. Plant in their hearts oh God the call. Of the spirit of the Lord upon them. So they can go forth and proclaim. And live. And testify. And be an example. And be a light. And be a fire. A flame of fire. Wherever they go. Your Father, there are such young people here tonight. There are children here tonight. There are precious daddies and mothers here tonight. Would you bless us with the fervent desire to be men and women of God? Would you call us and choose us and ordain us to go forth and bear fruit for your name and your glory for the Lamb of God is worthy? Would you forgive us for our slothfulness and our apathy and our sterility and our anemia? Would you forgive us for our laziness, our selfishness, 
our self-pursuits, would you forgive us for the importance we put on lesser things? Be done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings. Would you forgive us, Father, of the opportunities missed? Forgive us for not being conscious of our need to make men aware of the presence of God. Oh, God of the men, would you make us men of God? Oh, God of the church, would you make us the church of God? Oh, God of light, would you make us a light to the world? Oh, God of love, would you teach us how much we need each other and show us how to bless one another? Oh, God of unity and love, fill our hearts with peace in believing that you will make us one in Christ. Bless this meeting tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It might be appropriate to give someone an opportunity to respond tonight. You will have an opportunity to respond. You make your decisions. Take a piece of paper. Write down your decision. Review it often. I've decided on this day of June. I'm going to ask the Lord. To take this life of mine, to take these lips of mine, to take this heart of mine, to draw it into his presence where I want to, I want to stand in that presence. I want to know the Lord God. I want to live for him. Here I am. As I am. I am yours and all that I have. The older ones are dying. The younger ones must take up the work. We need a double portion of that spirit. I need to be a man of God. We need revival in my church. You want to use me to help bring that revival to my church. We have homes that are struggling. You want me to stand in the gap and make up the hedge and be a mediator between God and man and an intercessor for the needs of others. Here I am, Father. Take those burdens that are on your heart and put them on my heart. Take those words that you want the people to speak and share them with your servant. Show your God the task that you so much want done. You give us an understanding of how you want us to carry it out. I will do what little I can to glorify God in this earth. Are you listening to me tonight? Will you do that in your heart? And be a blessing to your congregation and to your parents and to your pastors for the reviving of God's people and the healing of the churches. In the renewal of the strength and life of God in the hearts of your people, will you be willing to be the person God chooses to use to minister to the needs of others? If it means a very mean, meaning, a very lowly task, pour water on the hands of Elijah. May God bless us tonight. Let's stand for prayer. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, be thou our life, guard while life shall last at our eternal home. 
I pray that you bless this service tonight and these dear people gather together on a Saturday evening and these dear young people, the commitments they make in their lives. Thank you for these Bible examples, these beautiful testimonies. Thank you for this clear example we had tonight. Help us to study these lives, learn from them, desire to emulate them, desire to follow their footsteps, desire to be one of those in that martyr train of the faithful program people who have trod the holy way, the highway of holiness for the glory of our Lord in years past and now tonight it's our turn and the church is waiting and young men must rise up and these young men in this congregation must rise up and these children must rise up and there's a fervency and a burning in their hearts that they want with all their desire to glorify the name of the Lord. Would you accept their offering tonight? Would you accept the consecration tonight? Would you accept the commitments made to you tonight, O God? And glorify your name in the lives of these dear people and the attentive ones that are here and the reverent ones that are here. And they hear your voice and they offer themselves to you tonight. Would you bless them? And may the churches grow and may this testimony go forth and may there be a renewing of the Holy Ghost and may there be people to stand in the gap and may there be workers for the time to come and may the light never go out and may the May grow, grow more and more unto the perfect day. Dear Father, light the fire in our hearts tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And this has been a very, very reverent congregation tonight. God bless you richly. Remember these words. Apply our hearts unto wisdom. May God bless you and we see you in the morning.